Hey, this is Josh Howard, and you're listening to the Forgotten Math Podcast. Yeah, Forgotten Mavericks. Huh. Forgotten Mavericks. Yeah, Forgotten Mavericks. Yeah, Forgotten Mavericks. Let's get it. This is Mike Frailer, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Forgotten Maverick podcast. For this episode, we're joined by former Mav Dale Ellis. Before becoming one of the NBA's most explosive scorers and an NBA All-Star in the late 1980s, Ellis spent the first three seasons of his NBA career here in Dallas, endearing himself to the reunion rowdies before moving to Seattle in 1986. Thanks for listening, and now here's former Mav Dale Ellis. Hello. Hi, Dale. Okay, sorry about that. I'm a little late getting on the call. Oh, no, no. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, please, I'm just grateful and appreciative of your time, and I'm glad we could work something out. It's uh, no, not an issue. Okay, fantastic. How are you doing tonight? Everything's good. Just trying to get some stuff done here around the house. That's about it. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I just wanted to say thank you for, for calling into this, and I'm excited to, to talk to you, and uh, I won't take up too much of your time. Okay, fantastic. So um, I know we've been going back and forth on, on LinkedIn for a little while. And, you know, I'm just a lifelong Mavericks fan with a passion for the team and NBA history. And um, uh, obviously I know you only spent a little bit of time here at the very beginning, but um, you know, I, I really enjoy talking to really any former NBA players um, that I, that I remember uh, playing as when I was a kid and just watching and uh, I'm just a huge fan of the sport. So <clears throat> one of the first things that I like to do when I'm talking to a former NBA player or a former former Dallas Maverick is I just want to know how you got started playing the game of basketball. I know you grew up uh, in Georgia. What what initially got you going? Well, I grew up in government housing. So when you step out of your front door, walk 20 yards, you were in the street. And it was a ton of kids. So we played every sport, sandlot, baseball, football, basketball. We did it all. I just gravitated towards basketball. I love that, that sport more than, than all. But, um, yeah, it's just a neighborhood thing. Right. I was always a perimeter player. I've always played out on the perimeter playing pickup basketball. But um, playing organized sports in high school and college, I was asked to play with my back to the basket. I, was, I would do anything my coach asked, asked me to do. That's why he saw me best helping the team win. Mm-hmm. So I played the post. I played the center position. In high school, I was taller than any of the other players. So that's what's common. I'm the tallest player to play that post position. But um, I didn't mind playing in the position. I just loved the game of basketball. I just wanted to be on the floor. I got you. Um, so mm-hmm. in your in your high school career, did you play against any other future NBA players or any future uh, big-time collegiate players? Yeah, Jeff Malone out of uh, oh, wow. South, South, South Macon was a uh, um, end up playing professional basketball. Um, I can't think of anybody else offhand. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of great players in the state of Georgia. I was fortunate to get to that get to the uh, get to that level. I play. I grew up playing with guys I thought had more talent than I did. 
Mm-hmm. It's just a, I was a good kid. I did what was necessary. I was worked hard. And your peers, your coaches, your teachers, when they see that you're that way, will push you forward to uh, achieve a goal. You know, they'll help you towards that. So I was that type of kid. So I got pushed forward. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's pretty uh, admirable about the your work work ethic at that time. Um, so, what was the recruiting process like that led you from Marietta High School to going to the, uh, Tennessee? Um, I always wanted to stay home. I've never been away from home, really. Mm-hmm. I have family out of Charleston, South Carolina. As a youngster, I would go to Charleston and spend time with my grandmother during the summer. But I really wanted to stay home. I was, I've always been a homebody. Um, so the, the the first choice was the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. They signed they signed Dominique Wilkins. And they signed uh, Terry Fair, and they signed um, Lamar Hurd out of Cartersville, Georgia. And then they started recruiting me hard. And those, and I was, I, felt, I was a little disappointed with that because I, I looked at myself that, as if I was a star player, that it should have came to me folks. Mm-hmm. So, and that was the toughest decision I, I had to make in my life at that time. Yeah, so really I can imagine. Right, I visited some schools, but I fell on the University of Tennessee. I, I got my first college letter from the University of Tennessee. Oh, wow. And they were, they were most consistent with coming in to visit with me. And Georgia came in at the tail end of the whole deal when it was time for me to make that decision. And I had my um, high school coach, and um, Ben Wilkins, uh, Charlie Hood was my high school coach. Ben Wilkins was a football coach. Well, they they were pushing me towards the Tennessee, towards Tennessee. So I relied on their their knowledge. But it was a tough decision. I really wanted, I still really wanted to play and um, stay home and play ball in Georgia. Well, but I couldn't, have, I couldn't have made a better decision. It panned out beautiful. Yeah, I was gonna say. I know um, your jersey, or you had a very successful collegiate career, and your jersey was retired a few years ago, which I'm sure was a great honor for you. Yes. Yes, it, it was. You know, Knoxville is like a home away from home, always will be. The fans were always uh, receptive to me. Um, you know, it was easy to play there. It's a college town. Knoxville is a college town, so it's built around sports. So it was always exciting. Um, I was in an era there where uh, the football guys, uh, Reggie White, played, mm-hmm. played on football. I got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great memories in Knoxville. So, getting my jersey retired in there was uh, was an awesome experience. To know my name will go down in history, it's going to be there in those drafts. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. So, I know your college co- collegiate career wrapped up in '83, and in uh, June of '83, or I guess that whole spring and summer, you know, you're getting ready for for the draft. Um, what were your expectations heading into that that '83 draft? I didn't know what to expect. The Houston Rockets had the number one and the number three pick in the draft. So I was projected to be pick number three. Raph was going to go number one. At that time, they were, uh, the NBA was always looking at uh, big guys first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Beast, Aponovich, Raph, Sampson. And I was, picked, I was projected to go number three. I slipped down to number nine. Dallas selected me at number nine, but they didn't really need a post-up player. They didn't. They had Mark Aguirre. They had uh, Jay Vincent. 
they they selected me because I was the best player available in the draft at the time. Mm-hmm. So, and then when I got there, they looked at me as a swing player in between a post-up player and a two-guard. And a two-guard. And didn't quite understand how to play me. Yeah. So that, was, that was frustrating. Three years sitting and waiting for that opportunity. I played, but I didn't get the chance to play as much as I wanted to. So that was disappointing. I'd been on teams. Every team I've ever participated on was a winning team. And I was uh, no different than any college star coming in thinking that he's going to go into the NBA and turn the team around and be an instant success. I was one of those guys, too. So that was frustrating to sit there and be patient. Yeah, I can imagine. Wait, wait for that opportunity. Um, what, was, uh, what were some of your initial impressions of just uh, of Dick Mata as a coach? Um, you know what? I thought would get drafted into the NBA would be the same, uh, not the same, but uh, unlike any other situation, because you are playing and competing against the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. So, and on the flip side, the coaches are the best coaches in the world. I didn't know what to expect. And when you go through high school and college, it's, uh, just take high school for example. If there's a senior and you're a freshman and you're above that senior in talent, the senior is his turn to play. You're going to get your opportunities later. And when I, in the college, it's the same thing. You come in as a freshman, you got seniors in front of you playing, but the seniors, it's their turn. You've got to be patient and wait on your opportunity. And it was the same thing in the NBA. So that was disappointing. That was disappointing. So I used practice as playtime yeah. for me. I worked at it every single day because when you're sitting there waiting on that opportunity, you can start doubting your ability to play the game. And uh, you, you look at guys that are playing NBA basketball right now, all those guys can play those guys that can get off the bench. It's about – and they get off the bench fairly. But it's about being in the right system and getting that opportunity to shine. And the coaches give me the confidence to go play basketball. Did you enjoy the city of Dallas while you were here? I did. I did. Um, I learned a lot. I love Dallas. Yeah. I love <laughs> Dallas. I came in with Derek Harper. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask you about uh, – I, I would assume you guys were kind of going head-to-head in practice or playing one-on-one games together and all that. Derek and I played one-on-one every single day. And it was, <laughs> if you didn't know Derek and I, you would, you would have thought watching us compete against each other that we were getting ready to throw blows at some point. That's how <laughs> aggressive it got. But I love that. That's how I grew up playing basketball. Mm-hmm. After we finished doing that, we'd go out and have lunch together. Yeah. We'd have lunch together. Yeah. Now, look, we talk about Dick Bottle. Dick was one of the best ex. I played for quite a few coaches. Mm-hmm. Dick was one of the best ex and old coaches in the game. You know, I watched what, watch him do his job. He watched the floor of the game, and he knew what plays to call at the end of the game when the game was online, was on the line. He made you feel confident that you could win basketball games. Mm-hmm. So Dick was a great coach. It's just, I just really wanted the opportunity to play, that's all. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Um, and some of my research during your, your time as a Maverick, I found something, uh, I, I believe it was from your second season, you were known as uh, the pizza, the pizza man. Do you remember uh, your memories of that? 
Yes, yes, I have memories of that. That was, yeah. You know, if the Mavericks win and the team scores 125 points, I forget what it was. Yeah, it was 125, uh, correct. Right. Everybody gets a pizza. But that's <laughs> when the game was out of control. I, always was, I was always on the floor at that time. Somehow the ball <laughs> ended up in my hands. And uh, you can look at the scoreboard as you run up and down the floor. You know what situation it is. I really wanted that shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I read that the, the team gave you a, a jacket that said Pizza Man on it. Is that correct? Um, if that jacket is here, it's in the closet, tucked away somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious uh, if, by, if you still had it by any chance. So it sounds like it might be uh... – in storage somewhere or something like that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. funny. Um, so yeah, I know you had your three years here um, with, you know, never really got your chance to shine, but you did have some, some pretty good games, um, you know, and, you know, I, I do see you, you had a lot of games, you know, scoring 20 points, sometimes above 30, but then, you know, your playing time would go to nothing like the very next game. Um, was that ever uh did that ever? Did that conversation ever arise with coaches or management? Because you obviously showed you could produce, but then you didn't mm-hmm. really get the chance to do it on a consistent basis. Like, what what was said to you? Right, it's um, it, it's about playing on a consistent basis. If you know you come into the arena, you walk into the arena, you understand that you're going to play 36 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. You can start off. You can start off slow and get your game together by halftime and start playing great basketball. It you don't have to necessarily get it done. In the first few minutes, when I got into a zone and started playing basketball in Seattle, I understood I got to get it done in the first few minutes and get that and get it and get that feel that I needed to play basketball. But um, get your job done early. That that was my thing. Get it done early and then let guys come off the bench and give them an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. But with Dick, it was. Um, it was difficult coming to the arena not knowing if you were going to play or how many minutes you were going to play. But every guy on the bench, bench players, unlike the starters, understand that. So you have to find ways to stay ready. Mm-hmm. Stay ready. So I use practice time is to stay ready. But it was, it was frustrating to sit there and wait for that opportunity and not get off that bench. But Dick and I had many conversations what can I do to get minutes on the floor? And he was very encouraging. Mm-hmm. He said, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing well. You're going to get your opportunity. He was always encouraging. They kept me going. But the minutes weren't there. Yeah, yeah, it certainly looks that way. Um, just a couple more Maverick-related questions. Um, so what – do you have any specific memories from that uh, – that- exciting series against Seattle when you uh when the uh the final game Moody Madness was played at SMU game five do you uh, you remember that evening and uh what the atmosphere was like yeah the the, I guess it was game five the 84 against the Sonics um there was uh I think there was a scheduling conflict at Reunion Arena and uh the final game had to be played at Southern Methodist University right yeah yeah um, that was, um, it's hard to reflect back that far. Yeah, no, I understand. It's a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> you know, my mind is set on, um, playing, um, 
University of Washington gets to and gets Dallas. The songs could give Dallas. But yeah. When you're playing on college campus, it's exciting. It's exciting. Because mm-hmm. it brings back memories. Um, we were a young and upcoming team. Mm-hmm. We had some great athletes. Great athletes. Dallas had uh, first round picks for several years. They passed up on Joe Dubar. They passed up on Carl uh, Malone. Uh, mm-hmm. They passed up on great players that made that team better. But we had an opportunity to do something special. It's just, it's just a matter of uh, keeping a team together. Mm-hmm. Even together like the Lakers or the Celtics were doing, they may bring in one or two pieces every year. Start building a franchise. If you see what – start building a dynasty. Mm-hmm. If you see what uh, the Lakers and the Celtics did, that's what was doing. And, and um, Golden State right now is trying to build a dynasty. Yeah, they're building the dynasty. They're going to be there every single year and in competition with it. But we were up and coming. We were young. We had nothing to fear. The expectations weren't there for us to win. So we had the freedom to go out and play basketball. I was happy to see Derek Harper get into that starting lineup. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's what I was working towards also. I wanted to be on a starter. That was my deal. I wanted to be on the floor. Um, and then one other question from, from your Mavericks time here. You got to compete in the uh, very first NBA three-point contest in 86 here in Dallas. Um, do you have any particular memories from, from that evening? I bet that was a, an exciting time. That was nerve-wracking. <laughs> I was asked to do the dunk contest at the same time. Oh, wow. I, I was not aware of that. Right, I declined to do that. <laughs> I, <didn't know. laughs> I was a dunker in college, but I said, I'm not doing that one. But I did that three-point shooting contest. What they did is to get, to get me acclimated into the game real fast. Into it was to call a play for me, an up play, for me to shoot a three. My mm-hmm. first shot of the game. First shot <laughs> of the game to get me into it. So Dick got me in the mindset of shooting three-pointers. Gotcha. <laughs> they, they always, I was drafted as a post-up player, and they had no clue that I could shoot from the perimeter. There was no three-point line in high school or college when I came in. Right. And that, then that three-point line was used just barely. It was used at halftime just to go in the locker room up, or it was used at the end of the game to win a game. It was very few shots from the three-point line when I was there in Dallas. The game has evolved, but uh, Dick would let me shoot a three, design a play for me to shoot a three to get my mind into the game right away. So if he saw me doing that every single day in practice, he saw the range that I had. Mm-hmm. But he had no idea when they drafted me that I could shoot, I could face the basket and shoot the, shoot the ball. I was drafted as a post-up player. Well, yeah, um, and that's the uh... – <laughs> The same three-point contest where Larry Bird came in and started talking a little trash, right? Yeah, he walked into the locker room. He got there late, and uh, <laughs> everybody getting ready. And the first thing out of his mouth is, "Which one of you guys playing for second? <laughs> so he's real cocky, like a Gary Payton. I loved that. Yeah, I loved it. So I really wanted to beat it. I'm gonna beat you. <laughs> Put that pressure on you. Larry, Larry was a great player. When the game's on the line, he put the ball in the basket. 
Mm-hmm. He's knocked down big shots. He's done it over and over throughout his career. Yeah, he was he was fantastic. Um, so yeah, after that that '86 season, you're traded to to Seattle. H- how did you find out about that trade? I'm always curious, like what a what a player's trade story is, and were you caught off guard, or were I'm guessing it was a welcome opportunity because you know you had been patient and things just didn't quite pan out here. Right, I um, that, it was difficult. I um, I requested a trade. Mm-hmm. I requested a trade, and I was home for the summer working out. I would play tennis during the summer. What I tried to do throughout my career was get away from basketball. I played tennis. I loved tennis as an individual sport. And it was the only sport I didn't have a chance to play when I was a kid. So when you play in that sport, you have no one to blame for losing but yourself. And the game of tennis is so much similar to basketball, the footwork, the hand and eye coordination, the lateral movements, the sprints back and forth. I did that to stay in shape. And I got the call that I was traded. Well, the first thing you think about when you go through your first trade, we've been be traded a few times throughout your career. You feel like you're not good enough. That you that team thinks you're not good enough. But it was so I did, I had to keep working on it. Get that out of my head. You got to focus, stay focused, and believe in your abilities to play the game. Um, and coaches. Your coaches are, are uh, instrumental. I don't know the word I want to use there. And giving you the confidence to go out and get it done. But you you got to figure out how to do that on your own. You know, I, as a youngster, I look in the mirror. I didn't think I was very good looking. I look in the mirror and say, you're good looking, you're good looking, you're good looking, you're good looking. <laughs> you know, just to coach myself. And then in college, I got into meditating. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about the game, visualizing the game. When I shot the basketball, all I did was visualize it going through the basket every time I shot it. I learned from every single coach that I played for. I learned from players that I played with. I tried to, I looked at what they were doing and tried to apply it to my game. Dick Marlin said to me once, um, great players might have one or two games they can't get up for. And I, I stuck with that. So how do you find ways to get excited about playing the game? You're playing over 100 games a year. With the regular season, exhibition games, and then the um, playoffs if you get there. It's 100 games. How do you get up for that many games? You find ways to get excited about playing the games. You trick yourself. But Dick, Dick would say things that I played for other coaches that would tell me, tell me things that it, it stuck with me. So I just applied it. I just mm-hmm. applied it to my game and go for it. Well, obviously you applied everything really well because, you know, you went to Seattle and your, your career just took off. And you were, I think, maybe to this day, still have the biggest scoring increase from one year to the next for, for a player. And, you know, you won most improved player. Um, what was that transition to, to Seattle? Like, I'm assuming it was just probably some of the – I mean, you just felt like you finally you're, – you're, you had arrived. When uh, the signs traded for me, they didn't know that I could shoot from the perimeter either. I don't mm-hmm. believe. And then just from watching me in practice and, and uh, playing around before – working out before, before practice and after practice, watching me shoot the basketball, 
uh, you got to be acclimated into the game. Uh, Bernard Dixon's staff. He started running plays for me to shoot the basketball. It was moving from a three to a two, to, to the two position, and ran plays for me to catch and shoot. Um, I, I recall throwing the ball away a few times when he first put, in, injected me into the starting lineup because I'm playing team ball. I'm playing team ball. Everybody in ball. I threw the ball away a couple of times, turnovers. He called a timeout. He called a timeout and said, look here, Dale. You're here to shoot the basketball. And he said that in, in, the, in a huddle with the rest of the starters and all and our teammates. When you pass up shots, you throw your teammates off. They're expecting you to shoot the basketball. If you insist on passing, then you can sit down next to me. That just came from Dallas sitting on the bench for three years, not getting that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So he gave, he gave me the green light to go for it. So I looked at it exactly what he said it. Put the ball in the, in the, in the air, shoot the ball when it, when it gets to pass, because your teammates are expecting you to shoot it. You know, you don't want to throw them off sync. And I had teammates that were very unselfish who would try to get me involved offensively, fast. Sacrifice their games in some situation. Because I'm taking the majority of the shots, uh, and mostly the biggest shots in the game. Um, so I know after your first season in in Seattle, you got to you guys advanced to the playoffs and you faced Dallas. And there's a uh, a fantastic video on YouTube called "The Revenge of Dale Ellis." I really enjoyed watching it, where you just you dominated that series. And um, what are, what are some of your memories from from that series of you coming back and uh, playing so well? That was my first year away from Dallas. First year in Seattle, we were picked to lose more games than anybody in the NBA that year. We were we were projected to finish dead last. That's what Red Auerbach said. <laughs> we're going to be dead last. We we sweeped into the playoffs throughout the course of the year, playing against the Mavericks. They were drilling us. They beat us by average twenty points every game. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. First, yeah, for the first game of the, of the playoffs. They they drilled us again. They beat us bad. So we came up with something that we could do to get into our offense quicker. Totally looked at film and so we're not getting down the ball down the floor quick enough to get the offense going. And so we we ran things to get Derek off of Nate McMillan so he can get the ball across half court. Derek was a great defender. He had great hands. So we had Derek turning his head, worrying about who, if it was David McDaniels or Marius Lucas, getting ready to hit him with a hard pick. Oh, yeah, I can imagine those would be some pretty solid screens. <laughs> yeah, so that's how we were able to get the ball down the floor and get to the offense in a timely manner and trying to make something happen. But that first game we beat them, it was close. It came down to two free throws to seal the victory, and I just happened to have the ball in my hand. That was a wonderful feeling. Oh, I once can imagine. We, yeah, yeah. Once we beat them one time, you understand you have you got a chance that we can beat this team. Mm-hmm. We can beat this team. So that gave us all the confidence that we needed. And you know, we went back to Seattle, and our fans were great fans. We were playing at SMU. We were on campus. Not SMU, I'm sorry, but uh, University of Washington on their campus. 
and there was a lot of excitement in the air. And uh, we were to walk through that thing. Did you see them three straight games? Yeah, yeah, that was uh... – I want to say that was maybe the first time a, a seven seed had beaten a, a two seed in the playoffs. That was definitely a uh... – The Mavericks was number one seed. We oh, number eight. one seed. Okay. Yeah, we were number one seed and we were the eight seed. The Mavericks yeah. had won more games that year than anybody in the West. Mm-hmm. So they had a better record than um, the Lakers did. And wow. we ended up in the West. We ended up in the West Conference Finals playing against the Lakers, and we were swept by the Lakers. They just they had too much force. Yeah, that, that was a legendary team right there for sure. Yeah, that team ended up winning the NBA championship against Boston. So mm-hmm. We didn't have anybody to compete. We couldn't compete with them. We were in every single game. We had opportunities to win in every single game, but they were able to to overcome us. Yeah, uh, but that's still a pretty impressive run you guys had. So um, eventually want, I kind of want to start wrapping things up here, and I really appreciate your time. I don't want to take up too much time uh, of your time. Just got a few more short little questions here for you. Um, my my brother would never let me hear the end of it if I didn't ask you if you had any uh, memorable interactions or stories about a young Sean Kemp when you were playing with him in Seattle. My brother was a huge Kemp fan growing up, so I know he'd be interested to hear anything like that. Yeah, when Sean came in, he came in as a rookie. Mm-hmm. He came in as a rookie, and we had been in the locker room. He came in out of high school. We had been in the locker room, so he wasn't legal. They took the beer out of the locker room. The guys weren't happy about that. Make sure you tell your brother that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't too happy with no beer out there the game. But uh, I remember Sean being on the, on the court and they McDaniels. As, as always has a presence about himself as an intimidator. Mm-hmm. And he hit Sean real hard. And I saw, I saw Sean's response to it. So I took the young guy aside and said, don't let no one do that. I don't care who that is. So I know that i got to play with this kid. Mm-hmm. I don't want him walking on the floor. If he takes that in practice, he's going to take that in game situations too. You know, what you do on the practice floor is what you're going to bring to game situations. So I didn't want him to back down to anything, not only not his own teammates, no one. And I, I spent uh, half a season with him. He's still developing that up in Milwaukee, so I didn't get a chance to really play with Sean. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, I was looking at the timeline. Uh, I saw it overlapped just a little bit there, so I figured it. Uh, you might have uh, something memorable. And that that beer story is actually pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So, and then as, as I was doing um, some research on you, this is something I'm not aware of. Uh, you have a twin brother, correct? I do, yes. I'm a twin as well. Are you guys identical twins? We're fraternal. Fraternal, okay. Um, yeah. Do you have any funny, uh, any, any funny twin stories? Because, uh, you know, I've got a few with my brother, so I'm just curious if you have any with you and your brother. Well, I can remember an article that was in a, in a local paper here is that if Dale had Daryl's mentality, he'd be a great player. My my twin played hard. Mm-hmm. He played and he played with attitude. He played with attitude, and then he he broke his wrist in a game from a hard foul, and it looked like the foul was intentional. He fell to the floor and broke his uh, wrist, Oof. and I took over the game. I got mad. Is this in, in, uh, in high school? Yeah, in high yeah. school. Yeah. yeah. 
And then we had schools that were offering us package deals uh, to go oh, to. Cool. Yeah, but he ended up in, um, I ended up in Tennessee. He was at Savannah State. He uh, elected to stop playing basketball. He went into the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a Marine. And my, our older brother was a Marine. Oh, uh, wow. Mother, mother and father were both in the, arm, in the Army. So he chose that route. He gave up basketball. I stuck with it. When I got to Tennessee, I changed my number from 31 high school number to 14. That was his high school number. So that that, that jersey that's hanging in the rafters in Tennessee is actually my my brother's number. Oh, that's cool. And that's the same number you had in Dallas, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah that that's a nice little uh, tribute to him. That's a, I enjoy hearing things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So. I know, you know, you spent a lot of the 90s, uh, you know, some with Seattle, Milwaukee, San Antonio, back to Seattle before your, your career wrapped up in, uh, in 2000. What have, you, what have you been up to over the last uh, 19 years? Um, you know, I can still see that you're involved in basketball somewhat or mentoring or training. What, what else have you been up to? Right. I, uh, I came home. I never thought I'd come back home and live. I thought I would spend the rest of my time in Seattle. I played for other teams, but I kept a home and see how I love the area. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed my best basketball there. I came home, looked at the situation, my mother's situation, decided to stay because her health was declining. Took care of her. And then I ended up traveling around the world doing some exhibition games with some retired basketball players and touring with the military. I went over to Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, Kuwait, I went over to the Middle East five times. And um, tomorrow I'm actually going to California to do oh, some cool. stuff on base with the, the Marines there. Uh, what kind of things do you do with, that, with them over there? Um, what we do is entertain our troops. We meet and greet with them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, entertain their kids, run through clinics, and then we'll let uh, the guys that are actually in the military come out onto the court. And we, we play basketball against them. We play half-court oh, basketball. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Really I've been cool. doing that. I'm still engaged in working with young people, teaching. Uh, Tobias Harris is playing ball with the Philadelphia 76ers yeah. now. I had him as a 19-year-old. I know his father. So his father was asking, asked me to help get him ready for the NBA. So I work with shooting with him. I don't go... Uh, seeking players to work out, but if someone asks me, I will work that that kid out to give him some understanding. They use the game of basketball as a tool to teach them not only skills of basketball, but teaching them life skills too, which I enjoy doing. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool, and I hope uh, I hope you enjoy your trip out to to California. Um, I've just got one last question for you. And since this is a Mavericks, mainly a Mavericks podcast, it's a Mavericks related question. What I'm looking at right now is the regular season roster for the 1983, 1984 Dallas Mavericks, your rookie season. There are 13 names on it, including you. I wanted to see how many you could name. This is when you were a rookie. A rookie? Yeah. Okay. Um, Brad Davis. Uh, Rolando Blackman, Mark O'Guire, uh, Kurt Nimpus. Yeah, I, I actually I did an episode with Kurt uh, a couple months ago. 
Yeah. Uh, Jay Vincent. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Myself. A six. You said thirteen. Thirteen. Oh, yeah. God. Wow. Mm. Let's see who else. Why you want to make me pull this thing up online? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, um, God, I can't think of the center's name. There's a center's name. Um, that was only, that was, that was, um, James Donaldson came in. I don't know if James Donaldson came in the following year. Donaldson. Um, yeah, I believe Kurt May was traded for Donaldson, actually. Right. Yeah, uh, I can't think of the other center's name right now. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. I'm looking at it right now. I'd be happy to give it to you, or if you want to keep trying to name him. This is always a fun little way I like to end these conversations. Yeah, tell me his name. I see Mark West. Yeah, Mark West. Yeah, Mark West is old Dominican. I remember him. He came in as a rookie also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, I can't think of the other center's name. There's another center. Uh, there's another guy listed as a power or a couple power forwards. I don't see anyone else listed as a center here, but, um, the, the power forwards listed here are Pat Cummings and Bill Garnett. Pat, Pat Cummings. Yeah. yeah. Bill Garnett. Yep. And then yep. we'd see, we got, do you want to keep trying or I, I can name the rest no. of them for you? No, you go ahead and name them. Okay. Um, uh, I, I think you named Derek Harper. I know we mentioned him earlier, but I'm pretty sure you named him. Um, we oh. got, Roger Fegley. Right. Jim Spinarkle. Spinarkle was a um, uh, small forward. Yeah. And, and then Elston Turner is the a, a final one. Right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's always a fun way I like to end it. And then I think – I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I talked to, of teammates of yours from a different season. Um, uh, I talked to Uwe Blob and Charlie Sitton. I did episodes with them as well. Okay. I remember Uwe Blob came in, came in with Bill Winnington. Yeah. The Mavericks had number one picks. They had so many number one picks. It was ridiculous. When they brought in Uwe Blob and Bill Winnington, they had a chance to get Joe Dumas, I believe. Or it was um, Tom Malone. One of the two. They had a chance to draft. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. They, we, yeah we had the opportunity. They were trying to build it right there in Dallas and we were right there on the brink of doing something special with that team. And Dick was an excellent coach for it. Excellent coach. Yeah, he, he, he certainly was. And those were uh, – uh, it was a little bit before my time, but just in, in my research and everything, it just looks like those those mid-'80s, late-'80s Mavs teams were pretty exciting. And I uh, uh, wish you could have been a part of that. But, uh, you know, obviously you went to Seattle and some great things happened there. So I'm happy for you in that regard. Right, yeah, they brought in Deadless Shrimp mm-hmm. and uh, Sam Perkins, and I ended up playing with them again when I went back to Seattle. I got a chance to play with those guys again. Yeah, yeah, back in the yeah. the George Carl era, right? Exactly. I thought yeah. they, they had gone to the finals. They lost to Chicago, and I was, my contract was up, and I was asked to come back. I said, sure, I'll do that. I wanted an opportunity to play for a championship. So there were a few times throughout – throughout my career that I took cut some salary to go play for teams that I thought could win championships. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Seattle and got back with Sam and, uh, and Dallas. That was fun. 
Yeah, that, that sounds like it was a, a good time. Well, I really appreciate you giving me your time tonight, Dale. Uh, you know, it was fun hearing some of your memories about your time here and uh, your basketball career. And I, I hope you uh, have a great, great trip to California tomorrow and uh, wish, wish you well in, in everything you're working on. I appreciate you doing this with me. Reach out to me anytime if you want to follow up with something. I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind. And uh, once I get this all online, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Fantastic. All right. Great. Thanks, Dale. You have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye.